Welcome everyone to the How to Get the Most Out of College podcast. There's a lot of talk about where to go to college, but not nearly enough about how to go to college. And it's the everyday decisions that drive your success. I'm your host, Elliot Felix. I've been a consultant to more than 100 colleges and universities, helping them improve their student experience. And I'm the author of How to Get the Most Out of College, where I take what I've learned about how college works and make it work for you. Finding college that's the right fit plays a huge role in getting the most out of it. Making a link between your classes and your career path, I think is such an important way to succeed in college, to get the most out of it. Those kinds of learning experiences that enable you to do that, whether it's an internship or a class project, or even just interviewing a, a role model or a mentor are great ways to make that connection. So I'm super excited to have Josh Kahn from the National Association of Colleges and Employers here, NACE because they do fantastic research on career development, career exploration, and what's helping students and what's helping employers and how they can best connect. So welcome, Josh. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thanks for having me, Elliot. We're very happy to be here with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started on this geeking out about, you know, career exploration and development and the research and the metrics. Well, you know, my time working with students and preparing them for careers goes back quite a ways at this point. I was a special ed teacher, special education teacher in New York, and I was working with students that were preparing to enter the world of work at an occupational training center. And so we were working on career readiness skills back 20 years ago when I was a, a teacher. I ended up going and getting some advanced degrees, getting my doctoral degree and in my department, we really worked a lot on career readiness as a construct. And so that's sort of where my attention turned more from, you know, a, a research standpoint. And then linking up with NACE was a very natural progression to continue that work and to continue pushing it forward. So at NACE, we focus on the link between college and career, that transition space. We're a member organization. We serve both colleges and employers. So we help bring them together. We hold convenings. We produce research. We advocate on their behalfs on the issues that matter to them. And internships and career readiness are among the central issues that our members are focused on when they are preparing students for the world of work and as the employers are recruiting them into their organizations. So it's been really great working for NACE. I get to dig into lots of these issues and collect loads of data from students, from career centers, and from employers. And we publish all of these studies that we conduct year round and hope that we are helping to inform and serve the field so that they can then turn around and serve students. That's really awesome. So as you're thinking about career readiness, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the role that experiential learning, things like internships play in career readiness? Based on our research, it appears that internships and experiential learning in general may be the most impactful ways of enhancing students' career readiness skills and competencies. We ask students about their levels of proficiency in the NACE career competencies. We have eight competencies that we've developed over time and surveyed our members on, and we're currently working on a rubric to help assess the competencies in students. And we know that students that participate in internships and other experiential learning self-report 
higher levels of proficiency than students that do not participate in experiential learning. Those are things like leadership and communication and teamwork, that kind of thing. Yeah. Critical thinking, leadership, teamwork, professionalism, equity and inclusion, and technology. I think that covers all eight, including the ones you mentioned as well. And so, yes, we have these eight competencies and students report that when they participate in an internship, they're able to improve their skills and competencies in these areas. So through our data, we are able to draw a direct link between participating and engaging in these experiential learning opportunities and students' career readiness skills. That's great. With your rubric of competencies, is there also like a rubric of experiential learning? Like, is an internship worth two class projects? That is a really interesting question. Unfortunately, we have not really been able to make those kinds of comparisons. A lot of what we do is we'll look at job offers as a result of different types of experiential learning. And what we know is that internships with for-profit companies generally results in job offers. But the thing is, is that not all of these experiential learning opportunities are designed with the same intentions, right? Like a student teacher is basically an internship, sometimes it's called a practicum sometimes called clinical experience or social work, nursing. But like essentially, they're really similar types of experiences. You're going out into the field, you're making connections, you're getting real world experience. But a lot of those like student teaching or practicum experiences, they don't result in the same number of job offers as an internship per se with a for-profit company. So we do know that there are some differences in experiences, but Participating in these experience learning opportunities are extremely valuable for students, really no matter what. They all come away building networks, building real world skills, and also having the opportunity to confirm or disconfirm that this career path is something that you're interested in, right? That's not something that will get onto a balance sheet or a bank account, right? That's something that is a really powerful opportunity for you to figure out if you're heading down the right path. And that in and of itself is extremely valuable in terms of the time that you might save yourself heading down the wrong path, right? If you can figure that out in four, eight, 12 weeks, that's really valuable than putting four, eight years in a career path that you're like, wait, this really wasn't right for me. I, I want to go start something else. Yeah, I think there's tremendous value in knowing whether you're on the right track or not, even if it's just to confirm things. It sounds like some of the key metrics you use to track experiential learning are things like job offers and improvement relative to these competencies. What do those data reveal in terms of success and impact? Yeah, so the big one we do look at is job offers. We also look at starting salary, Mm -hmm. self-reported starting salaries. And paid interns do much better in these metrics. In the class of 2023, paid interns received 1.42 job offers. Unpaid interns received 0.92. So almost a 50% difference in the number of job offers that they received. That is a very large difference. Paid interns also generally start with a higher starting salary than unpaid interns. Some of that is going to be to industry that they're in. 
and where they're doing their internship, but across the board for now over a decade of our research, paid interns fare better in the job market when all is said and done. And this is a large reason why we recently released a position statement that unpaid internships are inherently unfair and we should work towards ending them as a practice. And then following up that position statement, which we released in June, we recently ran an ad campaign where we partnered with a Canadian ad firm, PR firm, and we ran a campaign that was hashtag unpaid is unfair. And so we released some videos and some static ads that tried to highlight the importance of this issue and to sort of show in everyday life how an unpaid internship, it's really a challenge for most students. Problematic. Yeah. Really, it's very problematic, particularly for students that can't forego a paycheck, right? So yeah. unpaid interns have multiple layers of obstacles in front of them. Not to mention, they're also generally paying for the credits associated with yep. their internship. So they're paying credits and providing loads of unpaid labor, then ending up with potentially worse outcomes in terms of job offers and starting salary. So, you know, the ad campaign featured a comedian that went into, you know, everyday situations like in a grocery store or a coffee shop and then tried to pay for those items with like the coffee mug that they got as like a thank you for coming into work or oh, nice. and it was they were unscripted scenes and you know the main actress was a comedian so she had goals that she wanted to accomplish in the scenes but the people she was talking to were people that worked in those locations i mean there were cameras there they knew it was being filmed and all but they didn't have like a script or anything that you know they were just told like give what your regular response would be and so the campaign was received really well, definitely by our members, but also by the public at large. And, you know, we're hoping that this helps build and add to the momentum that, you know, this movement we're trying to really push forward. Overall, paid internships usually end up with better outcomes. And, you know, that's why we're trying to make sure everyone has these same opportunities. And so if we're thinking about what employers can do to best work with colleges and universities on experiential learning. It seems like step one, pay your interns. What are the other things you've learned about how that partnership can be successful? Good question. There's two sides to this. There's also what the institution can be doing. But first for the employers, regardless of whether the experience is paid or unpaid, employers should make sure that the experience is going to be one that is developmental for the student, for the intern. Make sure that it's connected to their career goals. Make sure that they're doing more than getting coffee, right? Like that they're actually engaging in meaningful projects, that they're able to network with people at the company and in the field and providing substantive learning opportunities for them to make these connections and really explore the field and these particular roles that they're in. Yes. We do think that interns should be paid as well for the labor that they're providing and the time that they're spending enhancing the employer's brand. When a lot of students come back to campus after their internship, they will talk to their peers and say, this is a good company to work for, or this wasn't a great company to work for. So companies would really be smart to focus their time on providing a great experience 
for their students. And yes, if they're paid, it makes it all the better. On the college side, colleges would be much better off if they did a better job tracking who is doing internships. Right now, what we're learning, what we're hearing from colleges is that a lot of this trying to track who's participating in an internship is not systematic. It's not centralized. A lot of it is by department. Some departments track it, some don't. And it's leading to colleges really not having a great grasp of who's participating in these internships and who's not, and, and experiential learning right. in general. So that is an area for sure that colleges could step up their game on their side to figure out what's really going on on their campuses. That's a great point. Step one is like, know who's doing what so that then you can see what's working and what isn't. I wonder if in your research, you've come across something like a maturity model or like tiers where colleges and employers become you know, more and more successful and more and more sophisticated in how they do things. I feel like the folks that are really embracing experiential learning, it's not just something they do, it's who they are. So like, if you think about co-op schools, like at Northeastern or Cincinnati or at Drexel, that's like in the DNA of the place. Other people on the other end of the spectrum are like ad hoc, you know, catch as catch can, whether it's, you know, a faculty member that happens to know a local company and has this ongoing relationship. Have you observed that spectrum from ad hoc to like embedded in the DNA? And how do you think people can move up that ladder? So Drexel is located pretty close to NACE and we have some pretty good relationships with them there. We do know that employers are very keen to work with Drexel students. So they've been able to build that reputation and that helps keep the momentum going. So building that brand, building that reputation for colleges is extremely valuable. How to move from that sort of ad hoc to more systematic approach. I think part of that effort involves elevating career services in the institution and further integrating it into everything the institution does. So this is something that we've also been working on for the last couple of years at NACE. As we've noticed these schools that are doing well, they're like, you know, someone from the career center is in the president's cabinet or something like that. You know, they get elevated right. to a provost level position and, you know, funding comes along with that, you know, prestige status and, you know, an understanding that these career development programs are really important and shouldn't just be, you know, off to the side as a student service that's provided, like if somebody feels like going to the career center kind of a thing, you know, elevating the importance and making it some part of, you know, the whole student experience across their four years. A lot of schools have what are called passport or badging programs where, you know, over the course of four or five years, they give students an opportunity to participate in different career development opportunities. And so they're building it in to the whole student experience over the course of their time there. These types of techniques, these types of strategies are becoming more and more widespread. And I think some of the strategies that colleges and institutions are using to enhance the standing of career development at their institutions. And so, you know, all of these things combined will really signal to employers, we're taking career development really seriously and right. we value your partnership. 
And, you know, we want to build a sustainable partnership, a sustainable link, a sustainable pathway for our students to get exposure in the world of work at these different employers. I think that's really great. I think there were like five concrete things in there. Like one is the gathering the data. The other is elevating and integrating career development. The other is while you're gathering the data, some kind of badging, gamification, like a sense of a path and progress. And the other thing is like having that ongoing relationship with employers. And then it seems like you get to a certain point and it actually becomes part of your brand, like part of how you talk about yourself. Yeah. These partnerships too with employers can be really powerful. We conducted a study that we called Recruiting for Equity, Recruiting at HBCUs and Beyond. And we learned of an employer that developed a partnership with an HBCU. They were, of course, interested in diversifying their workforce. And we think if you're interested in diversifying your workforce, then starting with your internship cohort is logically a really smart thing to do because a lot of those interns then convert to full-time employees at these. And so they developed this partnership with the HBCU where they gave them, I don't remember the exact number of internship slots. It was like maybe 15 or 20 slots, but they said, we're going to give you 15 or 20 slots every year. So, you know, they built a sort of cohort model, which is strong for retention. And then the ones that converted to full-time employees became employees, and then they could act as mentors for the next year's set of interns that came in from that school. And you're building this positive sentiment. Those students go back to campus, you know, before they graduate and say, I had a great internship with this company and it builds that momentum. And then the employer is able to diversify their workforce as those interns convert year over year. That type of a partnership we found in our research, we really wanted to call that as a success story for both the employer, the school and the students as a great model moving forward. So, you know, in terms of the partnership aspect between the college and employers, that was like a beautiful way to do it. You know, it it was sustainable and impactful. And, you know, that's just a win-win all around. Yeah, I mean, it makes a ton of sense because it's like you're going beyond you making a connection to actually making a commitment. There are people talk about pipeline, but like people invest in pipelines for decades. Don't build a, a pipeline for a year. It's a long term. That's such a great way of putting it, to turn it from a connection to a commitment. That's a great way of thinking about it. Well, I'm a lover of alliteration. So as we close out here, are there other success stories like that to come to mind that can help better connect colleges and employers and help people move from the kind of like the ad hoc to the part of your brand? You know, the other thing that we really have found is that, you know, during the pandemic, of course, virtual internships were, you know, very popular and they have been decreasing in the last year or two as we track the modality of internships. But one thing that we found is that companies that offered virtual internships had a more diverse cohort, right? They were able to hire interns from schools that they wouldn't normally travel to physically. So they were able to widen their pool through these virtual opportunities. But we're seeing that decrease now as, you know, pandemic is receding. So I really would like to continue to highlight that and promote that as an opportunity for both employers and colleges and students 
I don't want to see that virtual option disappear because it can be very powerful. And in a similar way, the employers that provide relocation assistance to their interns, if they have to travel or relocate for the summer, you know, from some rural area to like New York City, for example, the companies that provided relocation assistance, some sort of travel or, or like housing stipend, those organizations also had much higher diversity in their intern cohorts. If I remember off the top of my head, the company that did provide that assistance had about 45% white interns in their cohort. The ones that did not provide that assistance had about 55% white. So the companies that provided it were able to have a much more diverse cohort. Again, for that similar reason of access. Removing the barriers. Exactly, exactly. And so in our research, we like to call this out to make sure that companies are not ignoring this and that they recognize how powerful of a barrier access you know, is. So these two components, these two pieces that employers can still offer can be very powerful ways of opening up their internship opportunities to a wider group of students and then, you know, reap the benefits of a more diverse workforce for their own company. That's excellent. That's a really interesting finding. And I would love to close with another you know, one of the more interesting findings you've uncovered recently where you kind of like had an aha moment digging through the data. Yeah. So we asked students if they felt like they belonged at their internship organization, if they felt like they got enough support from their supervisor and some questions along those lines. And then we also asked them, you know, did you want to stay at your employer after your internship concluded? Uh, would you accept an offer for them if they gave one to you for a full-time employment and questions along those lines. And what we have found is that that level of belonging, that sense of belonging and supervisory support, which sort of go hand in hand, students that felt they were supported and felt they belonged at the organization were so much more likely to accept an offer and want to stay at that organization. And if they felt they didn't belong, their likelihood of accepting an offer went from like 70% to like 20%, something like that. So this, you know, it showed to me that if they don't feel like they belong your organization, they're not going to be there. So like in terms of a predictor of whether they would accept an offer for full-time employment, level of belonging is by far the strongest predictor we have found. You know, whether it's paid, it's like belonging in college. That's exactly. It's such a powerful, you know, in research terms, it's a powerful variable. It's a powerful construct. But in like human terms, it's powerful feeling. It really, you know, it, it has so much influence on people's decisions to accept a full time offer or to re enroll in college that, you know, it was just eye opening to me when I was looking through the data that you know, employers should very much focus on making sure that all of their interns feel a sense of belonging at their organization. Colleges similarly ensure that your students feel like they belong on campus. And that, you know, this variable, this idea, this construct, this feeling that people get has so much of an impact that like, it was just extremely eye-opening to me. And, you know, I think all of us would be well suited, well-versed, or would be smart to 
focus on this and make sure that students feel like they belong at wherever they are. That's great advice. Out of curiosity, what percentage of students felt that way? Well, I do have one piece of data in front of me. We asked students what percent of students feel like they belong on campus at their school. 79% of students felt like they belonged on campus. So that's not a bad number. I mean, that's pretty good. We'd like to see it go higher, though. Every student should feel like they belong on their campus where they're spending so much time and money and, you know, investing in themselves. They should feel like that is their place as well. So, you know, 80%, 79%, not bad, but there's room for growth. There is one more really great finding I would like to, to bring up. So we looked at the link between students who go to the Career Center for help finding an internship. And we found that students who go to the Career Center for help finding an internship are 2.2 times more likely to get a paid internship than an unpaid or no internship at all. And wow, then so more than twice as likely, more than twice as likely graduating seniors who took part in a paid internship are 2.4 times more likely to say their degree is related to the job that they ultimately landed. So that would suggest like more career wow. satisfaction. Yep. It would yep. suggest that, you know, they went to school for a certain program and then they were able to land a job in that related field. And finally, what colleges and universities would be interested in are that those who landed a job in their field were 3.3 times more likely to say that their institution prepared them well for their career. Over three times more likely. So that really gives a sense of satisfaction with their institution. Other organizations have found that when students do find that their institution prepared them well, they're more likely to become donors and active alumni and, you know, stuff like that. So institutions would be very well served to get students into the career center for help finding an internship, which then starts this sort of chain reaction of positive outcomes for everybody. So, you know, this sort of dovetails with that idea of elevating career development and, you know, making sure that the Career Center is more centrally integrated into the overall institution. Absolutely. That's quite an impact. And I appreciate you uncovering that. Well, Josh, thanks so much for these insights and all the work you and your colleagues at NACE do and creating those, you know, college and employer connections, I think are so important, especially as, you know, folks are thinking about the value of higher ed and one way to provide and communicate that value is to make those connections. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Elliot. Thanks everyone for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts and check out elliotfelix.com for all the episodes and the articles I've written, talks I've given, and more information about the book. 